So we've got Alice coming to speak to us now to um, take us on our series further. Hi everyone, lovely to be seen by you. <laughs> Love to. I cannot wait for the day where I can just say lovely to see you. Um, so we are doing a series where we're, we've finished Nehemiah about rebuilding and we are now looking particularly at this issue of race and racial injustice which we believe God has exposed during COVID the COVID-19 pandemic. He's particularly put his finger on this. And I'm really, I want to take this full circle to the very first aspect of God's heart and his creation that he touched on as well and see this really as two sides of the same coin at the very beginning of this pandemic there was a lot of talk about Sabbath rest not just the daily rest once a week that restores our our souls but once every seven years there's a rest for the land prescribed in the Hebrew Bible and the Torah and every seven times seven, 49 on the 50th year, was a year of jubilee where slaves were released, where debts were repaid uh, and where the land was restored. And this, this combination, this idea of Sabbath, the cease, the stop, the rest, both touches on climate justice and racial justice. And we think this is what God is shaking in the earth at the moment. And we believe uniquely that the church is designed to lead and can lead and in some ways, and we'll explain in this talk today, is the only vehicle through which God can lead creative solutions to these two problems which are so interlinked. Interestingly, when Judah finally, after years of of coming to God then resisting him, resisting him, resisting him in a cycle of, of the human condition, went off into exile in Babylon, Actually, if you look closely at the text, the poor remained in the land while the land had its rest for 70 years. Every year for the seven, for the 490 years, the land had not been rested as it should have been every seventh year in the year of the monarchy. There was social justice there. The poor were allowed to remain in the land. It was the rich that went off there. Actually, the minority, three wealthiest classes went off into exile. The majority were the poor that remained in the land. And the land itself rested until the 70 years were complete. Then Judah were allowed to return, as we've been learning in Nehemiah, rebuild Jerusalem, worship and the walls. So there's something about this moment, this COVID-19 moment where God is addressing two critical issues in the earth today, climate justice and racial justice. And we are going to look at this morning the church's design to lead in bringing creative solutions to these two problems, which in many ways are two sides of the same coin. So if I could just reference back a talk I gave, this is a sense, A Cultural Repentance Part 1 on Nehemiah Chapter 5, where he's interrupted in the middle of his rebuilding project because there's some uh, more wealthy Judites who've returned from exile are enslaving their poorer brothers and sisters and there's anger and outcry and everything stops for that moment where there's realignment and then the the rebuilding continues and I broke it down into these aspects of repentance and I'm actually going to look at it a lot more simply today but this is a reminder of a talk a few weeks ago so the first thing was Nehemiah listened to the outcry 
and he was angry. It's really important when people are in a position of power, whether it's with parents or children or anyone in authority or an issue of white and black, anyone who has power, that they listen in undefended ways. When you have power, you don't need to be defensive. You just listen. And any emotion that we're designed to feel is emotion on behalf of the disempowered. It's, we're, we're not fragile, we're resilient because we have power. It's really important we understand that. So Nehemiah didn't make it about himself. He made it about, he was angry on behalf of those fellow Israelites who'd been enslaved. Then he took some time, he allowed his vision, his drive, his ambition, his leadership to be interrupted by that moment, which is courageous and hard, but he, he allowed that to happen and took some time to ponder and think what was, what, what, what was the change of mindset? A repentance is a change of mindset where the word is enfleshed in an in a, in a embodied, opposite spirit way. So maybe our mindset is we need to steal because we're poor and we don't have enough. And a, a repentance is such a fundamental change of mindset that we realise actually we're rich because we're God's children and we can work hard and give away. So it is embodied. A true repentance is embodied. It's not an apology. It's If you look at the person who's repented, they look radically different from what they were doing. They were consuming. They're now contributing. So there's a, there's a change of mindset that happens to Nehemiah. And then finally, there's a very specific strategic plan of action where those who are enslaved, the reasons are dealt with, the very specific reasons are dealt with, and they're released from slavery. They are, there's equality within the Israelite community and they can carry on rebuilding the walls. And that's the replacement, it looks quantifiable, it looks like metrics, it looks like statistics, it looks like something you can say, this was the case before, now this is the case. So today, and, and I understand there's a lot of words there, so I've made it much more simple today. And it's simply the circle of life. Do you like that? Slightly Lion King, maybe? Um, which is our life. This is our life. Our life starts in a place of resurrection. We enter into the resurrection of Christ from the dead, the resurrection of the human condition. As they, it was so beautifully led in worship, we enter in to Jesus Christ's resurrection materially and physically from the dead, which conquered all of the old human condition that was so depraved, that was so oppressive and exploitative, that it's conquered. We enter into a life that's marked by resurrection. In that context, we listen. And in this case, in terms of racial injustice, white people who have privilege, who have racialized privilege, listen to black friends, colleagues, communities. We watch videos, we listen to podcasts, we read books, we do whatever it takes to actually listen. And we also sit on that and we keep listening. This is something of a posture that we, people who have power do for their entire lives. They listen. And then there's a moment of death. There's a moment where we hear what the problem is and we enter into the cross. And this is why the church has the unique solution to climate justice and racial injustice. It's because we alone can enter into the cross. Anyone who's watching this, who is not a follower of Jesus yet, all you have to do is enter into the cross to become one. That's all the difference is. We, we believe in the historical death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the solution to all problems and as the invitation to a resurrected whole human condition. And I'm going to go into more detail as to what this death could look like. It could be a micro-level death, something that... We know before God he's asking us to lay down and no one else will ever know. It's, it's a secret place sacrifice, it's a secret place surrender. Could be a community level death where we lay aside our own 
ambitions and dreams in a certain area to engage and serve in the local community. And it could be macro level. This is, this is the price I'm going to pay to see this thing changed in the nation. And actually, historically, what happens in Britain tends to happen in the nations. So it's a macro level. We know that from the Sunday school movement, which I've heard, spoken about a lot. It started with hundreds of thousands of grassroots Christians paying a personal death on their Sunday, their one day off, to steward the children who were being exploited in the Industrial Revolution. On the seventh day, they gave them Sunday school. And as a result now, 250 years later, the UN, it's part of the rights of every child across the globe to access an education. That began with death for those hundreds of thousands of mobilised Christians 250 years ago, but the fruit is resurrection. And that, is, and then the action comes out of that. The action. So we listen to God, we listen to people. In this case, we listen about the climate and where we have privilege. This in particular, I think it's socio-economic privilege. And, where, and we listen to God about race, where we have privilege in terms of our skin colour. We listen to people... And we surrender, we, we come with completely open arms and lay down our lives and ask, what is the thing that we are wittingly or unwittingly, as the Anglican Church beautifully puts it, through weakness, through ignorance, through our own deliberate fault, harming either the environment or people of colour through our own privilege, we surrender it and that looks like something, it looks like a tangible action and that's the, the repentance and then we know there's always a better resurrection. We know that from history, we know that from scripture, and we know that from our own life. There is nothing I've ever laid down before Jesus that I've ever regretted. He's always brought a better resurrection. Every time I've held on to something, it's actually just produced more death. We know because the character of God is a God of resurrection. That's why Abraham can sacrifice Isaac, not because he believed in child sacrifice. In fact, that was the end of child sacrifice, which was common practice in the ancient world in polytheistic cultures. Abraham sacrificed Isaac because he believed in the God of resurrection. We know that in Hebrews. We know that he'd raised a child from the dead womb of Sarah. And so if he was sacrificing Isaac, he was believing in a different God to the polytheistic cultures that needed child sacrifice. So we lay down because we believe in resurrection. Because we believe that when one seed goes, it bears fruit of a hundredfold. So I'm going to talk about a couple of statistics that are close to my heart on the issue of racial injustice. And these, this is, this is one thing that can be a quantifiable repentance, a quantifiable action. Um, but please hear me. We still listen. We need to listen for a long time. But we now need to start acting as well. Both of them are part of repentance. So I've been thinking a lot, as I'm sure a lot of us have, of US policing. I don't know much about, I didn't know much about Americans, how they policed. And I didn't think particularly much about UK policing. That statement in itself shows I have privilege. I've never needed to think about that. So US policing is different from UK policing in that the US is, is their history, certainly their Eurocentric history is built on the, 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 you know, the Wild West, the, the gunslinger, the, the, the kind of perpetuation of the hero. And they're trained to escalate violence in UK, in US policing. However, our policing is different. We're trained in consent, our police, and we're trained to de-escalate. There's more subtlety in our policing, which, which kind of is symbolic of the change, different cultures. We're more subtle. 
So then I began to think, well, what are our outcomes in terms of race in prisons? Do we have better outcomes because our policing is more by consent and about de-escalation? Well, we do have different outcomes, but not that different, because I think there's covert institutionalised racism in our criminal justice system, and maybe it's a bit more overt in the US, which again explains the subtlety issue. So in American prisons... Black and Hispanic community are 32% of the total population of Americans. So it's about two-thirds white Americans, one-third people of colour, but 56% of those incarcerated are black or Hispanic. And if you just take black and white, not the Hispanic, there are more black people than white people in American prisons. So that is an issue of racial injustice in their criminal justice system. In our prisons, we have about 90,000 men, 5,000 women, About 12% of our population come from black and ethnic minority communities, but our prison population is double that. There are 25% of those incarcerated in UK prisons are from black and ethnic minority communities. That's one in four, double what it should be according to our ratios. And I'm a great believer in starting here. Yes, we need to mobilise our brothers and sisters of faith in America too, but we need to start here in Britain. This is our watch, the church is is in leadership in this nation spiritually. So this is under our watch, and then that influence can ripple effect. Now, there's so much hope in this issue of prison. Prison is a fascinating concept, and there's a long and complicated history of which this is not the time to go into it. But our modern prison system started about 200 years ago for two reasons, deterrent and rehabilitation. The idea through a lot of reform, instead of torturing and whipping and flagellating people, criminals, we would put them in detention centres and so on. So there's a progression in prison back in the Roman times. Really, they were politicised. It was about who had power and who didn't. Paul and Peter famously were probably incarcerated in a political prison called Mamertine Dungeon, but that would be in a period of time before their execution. So prisons themselves were a bit of a reform from experiencing physical torture. But I believe there's now time for the next reform, and I think I'm part of a grassroots movement across this country. There are many charities, local community groups, that know these facts already about prison, which is, from the age of two now, we pretty much can predict who's going to end up in prison. I have friends who've been in prison and I have friends who haven't. And when I and when I look at ourselves closely, I look at our human nature, there's not really much difference between us. This is not really an issue of some sort of inherent criminality. This is an issue of social justice, and I've thought about this for a very long time. So the two-year-olds that have a trajectory towards prison are, as I've already explained, majority men. One in four will be black or ethnic minority. Three in four will be white. They have a propensity to diagnoses like ADHD, and they have particular social economic factors surrounding their context within which they're born, particularly to do with being able to engage with education, which means that outcomes are likely to be in prison rather than privilege or profession. And I have this this phrase in my head, I've had it for a while, and we all know it, I've talked about it before, which is make prisons history. Wouldn't it be amazing, just as we've made Oxfam and other charities have made this made extreme poverty history already, they started a movement called Make Poverty History, and now extreme poverty is history. There is lots of poverty in the world, there's lots of injustice, but there are actually s- s- significant enough changes in, quanti- in, 
in metrics and things we can measure that show that extreme poverty is now history in the world today, as of many diseases and so on. So if we could make prison history, wouldn't that be a fantastic cultural repentance? Wouldn't that be a fantastic resurrection? Wouldn't that be a beginning, or the more of the beginning of tasting heaven on earth, where every child not only legally now has a right to an education, beginning with that Sunday school movement 250 years, but through training and education actually succeeds. So this is part B, if you like, of that earlier movement. And what is the solution to that? How do we address those, if you like, trajectory two-year-olds, for want of a better expression? It's mentoring, and I think we all know this too. About one hour a week with a family in their early years, and then one hour a week with individuals as they grow older and it's appropriate, literally changes the trajectory of someone's life from prison to profession and privilege. We know that now, and lots of people in hope have been engaged with that in different ways, both in working with schools, with young people, mentoring at university. Dan himself, who was leading worship, was a mentor at university. So lots of us have tasted and experienced the effectiveness of this approach. TLG, an amazing local, uh, national charity, has worked a lot with young people and is now moving back to working with primary schools. And I believe we're all understanding we need to, we can start with two-year-olds, not with social workers, but as just as friends not paternalistic, not patronising, just being there and showing there are other trajectories to life, we can change the way people think about themselves and their own future and their past. We can break open glass ceilings in terms of aspiration. There's this extraordinary story, and it's frustrating to me because I think it's really important to identify sources, but I've read and watched so much in the last few weeks, I cannot remember where I saw this, so please don't quote me on this, try and find it yourself and then tell me where you found it. But there was, there's this boy in the black community, teenager, who has been excluded from school. This is a current, um, live person. 300 times, which I can't even imagine what must be his, his, in his own head, in his community, in his context, in his school experience to have that outcome. But amazingly, four people are now mentoring him and he's training to be a doctor. And I just love that hope in that story of someone who was really, really on the trajectory towards exit, you know, towards prison, towards a whole life that, that wouldn't break into his potential. And now he's having a change of mindset. People around him are having a change of mindset about who he is and what he can bring to the world. And he's training in a skill and in a profession which will contribute. And that's what we want to see. We want to see it in terms of race, but we also see it generally. I think this is exposing the class and the social injustice as well. We want to see it for every child in this country. So mentoring is the solution to the, that, that problem of prison. I think there probably may be a few people that end up in prison for different reasons, but the fact that we can pretty much predict the majority from two because of factors which are not to do with innate criminality, they're to do with social justice, means we can solve it through death, through laying down our life, through saying, okay, is, am I someone who can mental? who can start to connect with these things. So that is just one example of what cultural repentance could look like from a mobilised church and how we can take the lead because we know that when we lay down our life, 
we find life. I also believe God honours those those people who don't yet know God but pour out in that way. You know he did because in Cornelius he saw this Roman, this pagan, this person who, who who it's hard to know what kind of atrocities he would have been a part of. But he gave generously to the poor. He gave generously to the Jewish community. And it said his gifts to the poor and his prayers came up as an offering before God. And he actually then was able to meet with God through Peter. So that's one example of where we can start, the church can start to lead and partner with others in pouring into and bringing a change in something. And we can look back at the 21st century in Britain and say maybe that was the end of that stage of prison as we knew it. To encourage, I'm going to give that rhythm through history through scripture of people who laid down and then were given back. We, we've already talked about Abraham and Isaac. We know that, that Nehemiah had the rights as a governor to, to access more for himself. But he said, I'm actually going to lay down that privilege because it's inappropriate for me to have so much while other people have so little. We know that Paul himself, a highly controversial figure, hated by some, but loved by so many could have could have made so much money from the gospel because he moved in such power and authority. And yet he said, I lay down that right for the sake of the good news, that I may receive my reward simply from seeing change in someone else's life, simply from seeing the power of God break through. And then we see Jesus himself, our role model, our king, our leader, our rabbi, our teacher, the one who Paul says was rich in his classically understated way. He was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that many through him would become rich. And that is, that is our Jesus we follow, and that's the privilege for any of us who have privilege, is we can lay it down so that that privilege can be released to others. And he did it in a very tangible, complete and full way in his death and resurrection on the cross. It achieved its purpose and gave, brought him into an extraordinary resurrection So we're going to have our One Church One Day this Tuesday and I think it's really fitting that last month we had Shake What Needs to Be Shaken and there are some things that have been shaken around the world and in our own lives and showing us things that are very close to God's heart, this particular, this, this wound in the body of Christ in terms of racial injustice. And this, this month this week on Tuesday we really want to focus on allowing God to uproot the idols in our lives uproot the things in our lives the things that give us pleasure that help us get through the day that that give us bigger sense of hope and meaning and purpose that aren't from him and actually not only choke us but they harm our neighbor and they harm the earth and to 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 go to have such confidence in the goodness of God that God is a God of resurrection that we can allow him to uproot those things we come open-handed Jesus wasn't forced to sacrifice himself for us he says very clearly in John I lay my life down of my own authority we have authority to surrender before God we don't have to it's fully invitational fully volitional fully voluntary on our behalf but we can if we want to enter into that resurrection life come to him now and I don't know about you but the more we go through life the more we maybe have a history of wounding or disappointment or fear that if we go there again or if we trust him with that thing again, it will it will be painful, it will hurt. I would just encourage you to go there again because there's a perfect love that casts out all fear. That fear isn't the voice of God, it's actually the voice of the enemy keeping us in captivity. Whenever I've gone there with God, 
even when I've been scared to. He's always whispered a liberating word that brings me into a resurrection. It's never, it's never been a word that's kept me in captivity. In fact, it's always a relief when he uproots the weeds in our life because we know that's not who we are and it's not how we really want to live. So we come to him with the soil of our heart, asking him to uproot the weeds. And as we do that corporately and as we do that as a church, at every level, the micro, the community and the macro, he will uproot these things that are causing damage to one another in the earth. And then we have the planting, the seed, the word of God that comes into us. It's actually that, that word seed of God is sperma. It's from the, the Greek word sperma. It's a, a fertilization of him in the soul of humanity, which that partnership produces new life, resurrection life. It's a co-production. It's a partnership. So in that posture today, we're going to have a little time of listening now. But also, over that whole 24-hour period we have on Tuesdays, a great time to do it. Just generally in our lives, we listen. What is the thing to uproot, to lay down? It could be a micro-level thing, as I said, that no one will know about. It could be a community-level thing where we just make some choices about how we spend our time, who we invest in. It could be a macro-level thing where we start a charity like Make Prisons History. But it's the word of God in us that will liberate us into that. How do I know that? It's because hearing and obeying is actually the same in scripture. You don't hear God and not obey him. If you've softened your heart sufficiently as a biblical principle to hear, that is obedience. They're actually completely two sides of the same coin. If we've hardened our heart to not be able to hear him, we don't obey him. If we obey him, it's because, and we do it in grace, it's because we've heard that liberating word of faith. Hearing and obeying is the same thing. So as we surrender now, we remember Romans 12, 1 to 2, offer our bodies, because that's where the repentance is, it's embodied in, in the decisions we make in our time with our resources and our bodies. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices, pleasing to God. And it says, we are then transformed by the renewing of our mind because we can discern and see, we can approve, we can test, we have absolute clarity and we embody and feel in ourselves the will of God, the good, pleasing and perfect, mature will of God. So I'm going to pray now, I'm going to start this listening process to God. We've listened and we need to keep listening to those who have less voice in the world, people we know, people we don't know. But now we need to listen to God in order to ask him what the action is that we need to start taking. Lord, I thank you so much that your word becomes flesh. Your word speaks universes into being. Your word spoke us into being. And your word redirects and redefines our lives. That it's your word we need. That's why it's daily bread. To enable us to walk in this cultural repentance. In this change of mindset which is embodied. So we welcome you now, Holy Spirit, to come and speak something into our lives of where we've had privilege, where we have privilege. But for whatever reason, we're holding on to it. We're scared to release it. And we, and we just we acknowledge you who, were, who was rich, yet for our sakes became poor. And we just ask you for the capacity and the grace to hear the word that you have for us of what you would love us to lay down in order that we can enter into a love that fulfills the law that does no harm to its neighbour. 
that looks after those around us and then enters into a better resurrection. I just break off all self-protection, break off all defences that, that just say, we can't trust you, God. I have a picture of a hedgehog, which is, is that classic, the, the, the person who's going to pick me up is not safe. And I just declare God is safe, he is good, he is kind, he is able. When we trust him, we're actually in the safest place. He's the only place, really, we can be truly undefended. So we lay down our defences, we lay down our coping mechanisms, our self-protective strategies, we lay down all the, the things that we've built up in our lives to try and make our lives work. And we come like the soft underbelly of a hedgehog, we just come and, and just trust him, that his word is what we need. Lord, thank you that the entrance of your word enlightens us. And so we, we bless all of us here at Hope, all of us watching, all of us seeking life and reality and purpose and meaning. We bless us all to have the penetrative word of God established within us, embodied within us, that we are good news and we bring good news in the 21st century in our context now with these current shakings of of climate and racial justice, that we bring good news and we're at the forefront of leading creative solutions to these two problems. Thanks so much, Alice, for, for taking us through that. I, I know that um, this, this will be popped up online as well and will be made available to continue reflecting on. Um, that, that's the end of our, our service today. Please do uh, say hello, connect if, if you're new. And um, yeah, we, we'd love to keep praying with you about the things that we're processing at the minute and, and just to keep, keep encouraging each other to press into the voice of God, to reflect, to take time to, to hear and act. So thanks so much for being with us. Uh, it's been great being with you and we'll see you next week. Okay, thanks.